One of the most interesting stories from history that has caught my attention through the years is of Duke Renaud III. Uh, he lived in the 14th century and in an area of what is now called Belgium. And he was severely, severely overweight. In fact, so much so that people called him by a Latin nickname, Crassus, which means fat. It means very large. It means thick. So you can imagine what that did for his internal thoughts of himself. And after a violent quarrel with his younger brother, Edward, he was captured. And instead of killing his brother, Edward builds a house in the Newkirk Castle. So in this Newkirk Castle, he builds another house around Ronald III. And the dimensions are, are pretty normal. I mean, they're normal-sized windows and, and a pretty normal-sized door. And all Renaud has to do is lose a little bit of weight and then he can be free. He can receive his title again. He can go to receive his property again, but he has to lose weight. And you would think that, oh, well, that's manageable. I mean, if you want to be free, go on a diet and be free. But his brother knew him all too well. And he would serve him throughout the day these most delicious foods that he knew that Reynald couldn't resist. And so instead of, of, of dieting, he began to eat more and he began to gain weight. And people came to him and said, you know, this is pretty cruel, Edward, what you're doing to your brother. And this was his response. He says, my brother is not a prisoner. He may leave when he so wills. And so as the story goes on, Renaud stayed in that small little house built around him with a pretty normal sized door and normal windows and his big appetite for 10 years. And then after 10 years, his brother Edward was killed in battle. And then people came and, and they freed uh, Renaud III. But he only lived for one year after that because he was in such bad shape, such bad health that he could no longer go on. And the truth is, is that he was a prisoner of his own appetite. And I believe that as we're gathered here today, we can all relate to this story. We all struggle to maintain our self-control due to our great and present appetites of the flesh. The major emphasis of Galatians, which we've been studying this year and in which we've really been kind of dissecting this summer with the fruit of the spirit, all of these attributes. The whole point of this book is this. The works of the law will not save you, but faith in Jesus Christ will. And I hope that you hear that clearly today and that as we walk away from this place, we can all be in agreement on this. But you may realize throughout this message, it's a little more challenging than you think. But at any point you feel challenged that you can't do this, look to King Jesus and know that he has already done it for you. And so the law brings forth death, but the spirit brings forth life. And all of, us, all of us want to live, but the struggle is, is that we have this sin nature, these appetites for the flesh. So before we go any further, it's probably appropriate for us to 
mention what these appetites of the flesh are because they may already be going in your mind and you may clearly know what appetites of the flesh that you possess within you. Or you may have no clue right now. I mean, nothing's coming to your mind when I'm saying appetites of the flesh. But the good news is, is that Paul says it's, they're evident. And he shows us this in Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 21. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So just a survey around the room after I read that list. Can everybody just raise their hand and say, yeah, I at least qualify for one of those? Any honesty in the room? Okay, amen. Yes, we do. We, we qualify for these appetites of the flesh. In short, it's anything that we crave that is not pleasing to God. So if you're in doubt of something, you ask yourself this question, is this pleasing to God? And how will I know if it's pleasing to God? The good news is, is that Jesus has left it all for us in his word. And so Renaud was held prisoner as long as he fed his appetite. And sinners are held prisoner as long as they feed their appetites of the flesh. And the truth is they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now at this point you may be confused because you're thinking, I'm a Christian, but yet I know I still sin. So what does that mean for me? Does that mean I can lose something that I've already received? No, it's not what it means. In fact, it's very clear throughout that book. Your works have nothing to do with your salvation. It's all the works of Jesus Christ. But here's what it does mean. It does mean that people who think there's nothing wrong with them, that they're good people and that they can do good things on their own and God would be pleased with them. But yet they're still ruled by sin. They're still ruled by the flesh. They have no part in the kingdom of God. It also means this, that just because somebody says they are a Christ follower, doesn't mean that you go, oh, good, that's great, thanks. I'm glad you said that, that's good. We can chalk it up and, and I'm on my way. And what I'm talking about is in our community groups and in this local church, we examine one another to see the fruit because if people are living in the flesh and they say, you know what, I know that I'm living in the flesh, Leave me alone. Let me be. I would say you are in great danger and you need to turn from that sin and you need to look to Jesus. Set your affections on him. It's not enough that we just say, hey, I prayed a prayer. I was baptized. I'm a, I'm a Christian, so I can still do whatever I want to. No, we are warned all throughout scripture that that is not what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And so may that be clear for us today. Our hope Our hope as sinners who have appetites for the flesh is in only one, and that's God. Your hope today, you're saying, yes, I, I struggle, struggle with the flesh, and we, and we can go through a list, okay? We can go through a list of our sins, and you can say, I'm struggling right now. In fact, it's known that we struggle in certain sins, and that we have certain seasons in which we really struggle with sin, but your hope is in God. By his grace, God brings redemption through his son, Jesus, and gifts us with the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And it's with this in mind that we come to our main text for today, which is going to be Galatians 5, 22 through 24. And I'd ask that you turn there with me in your Bibles, Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 24. Um, I know that it will be up on the screen and that's convenient to read as well, but there's something about holding the word of God in your hands. And if you do not have a copy of God's word this morning, if you will reach in front of you, there is a, a pew Bible right there or should be. And if you'll take it and turn with us to Galatians, and I'll tell you even the page number so you can uh, bypass everyone else who's trying to get there, page 973. And if you'll turn in your Bibles, and if you will, stand with me so that we can set our focus and attention on the main text today, as we've already asked God to, to bless this time together. So we are in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. And if you've been with us during the summer, it's going to be familiar to you. You may be able to quote it from memory. Let us look into God's word at this time. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Thank you. You may be seated and we ask God to bless his word today as we receive it. So here's where we're going to go with this passage. Here's, here's the first point. We're going to have three points that we look at today from this main text. Number one is that the Holy Spirit has the power to set us free from our sinful passions and desires. This word self-control, which is the ninth attribute that we're looking at from the fruit of the Spirit. And I'll just remind you, if you're just kind of picking up with us right now, when we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, we're talking about one fruit, many different attributes describing that one fruit and that being the Spirit. There's not many different types of Spirit that live within the follower of Jesus, just one Spirit, Spirit of God who lives within us. And so as we've looked at all the other attributes of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, we also now turn our attention to self-control. And as we've said previously, you can't look at these attributes and say that I possess some of them, but not all of them. So you can't check out when it comes to self-control. You're saying, hey, you know what? I'm just, I'm just always going to struggle with my temper. I'm just always going to have a bad attitude. I'm just always going to have sour thoughts. Or I'm just always going to entertain lustful thoughts. I'm just always going to think that women are beautiful. And I'm just going to struggle with that and take it too far. Then I need to take it. You can come up with all these excuses and settle in your sin. But this is not the attitude of a Christ follower. The Holy Spirit comes within us and produces these attributes, this fruit, so that we can be self-controlled. And that word means this, to exercise complete control of one's desires and actions, to control oneself. The world would just say, lose yourself in the moment, just let it go. But when we look to the word of God, there's never a moment in which we should lose ourselves. We should always be under the control of the Holy Spirit. So then have self-control. But you may say something like this, you don't understand my history, my family background, or what has been done to me to make me the way that I am. And you know what? You are right about that. 
I don't. I don't know everything that's happened in your past. I can't dissect that. that. That's not for me to do. But what I do know is this. I have a good understanding of God's word. I'm growing in it daily as I hope you're growing in it daily. And I have seen the work of the Holy Spirit in my own life. I've seen so much change in my own life. I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm a believer that God brings the Holy Spirit to change us no matter who we were before. We no longer have to be that person. We don't have to use excuses of the past to be the standard of who we are today. And so the Spirit provides all of these attributes within the believer. As Jesus entered into the boat knowing that he was going to calm stormy waters, so the Holy Spirit enters into believers knowing that he's going to calm their stormy emotions and desires. Isn't it good to be a Christ follower? Isn't it good to know that you have the Holy Spirit residing in you to bring a calmness to these stormy emotions and desires that you face day in and day out? So we may ask these questions. Why then are we lacking in these attributes? And why is self-control so difficult to maintain? And those are great questions to ask. I mean, we may continue to say, why do we tend to have really good days of victory followed immediately by disappointing days of defeat? You say, man, I really thought I had this whole Christian living thing down. And then all of a sudden, boom, boom, I met Monday and things got hard. Why is this? The answer is before us. We are overcome by the flesh. We feast on the flesh. We desire the things of the flesh. And that's why Paul had come earlier and said, live by the spirit so you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. So why is it hard for us? Because our old self is still there. Okay, yes, we put our old self to death, but we're still on this earth, which is uh, corrupt, which is failing, which is dying Okay, and it's a representative of of us. I mean, we too are failing. We are corrupt. We are dying. But our hope is in Jesus Christ. And through his grace, he's poured into us his Holy Spirit. And so if we live by the Spirit, we do not have to look back to the law. You say, hey, I thought law was good. I mean, don't we obey laws? Yes, you obey the laws of your land. But when it comes to law-based living, what we're saying is your works are what saved you and keeping you saved. And to that, we strongly disagree. But you may say, I have a problem, but I got this. I've got this. Men, you know, maybe we say this more often, but it's not just for men, it's for men and ladies. We say, I've got this. I know I have a problem. I got it. You know what I need? I just need some motivation and some inspiration. And so maybe you, you have some great motivational posters up in your office or you listen to some inspirational music on the way to work and it makes you feel better. You feel motivated. You feel ready to go. I think back to the posters that I used to love seeing up on the wall. The, the one word posters uh, that would define uh, character was one of them. And it showed a picture of a rock sinking into the water. And underneath was this caption, when you have depth of character, you will never be afraid to take the plunge into the unknown. Oh, that sounds good, doesn't it? Like, I have character, I ain't afraid. But you see, truth is about looking at motivational posters is that, you know, you are going to be afraid, but you could be filled with great character. And when you are afraid, you take your fear and put it on the Lord. 
So we, we want this motivation all around us. I mean, even to be a team. I'm, I'm, I've seen a poster that says teamwork and there's jets flying in formation. I don't know, Jim, maybe they were A-10s or something. I don't know, all right? But they're flying in formation and the caption underneath it, it says, coming together is a beginning. Keeping together is a progress. Is progress and working together is a success. I mean, that's awesome. That's great. I mean, there are many things that can motivate us to be a team or to be a person of high character. But what's missing in these statements is Jesus. It's Christ. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. So many times we think, I just need a little motivation. I just need a jump start. I need a self-help book. And listen, there are many self-help routes that you can take in this world. There are thousands upon thousands of books. I mean, go to Books A Million, knock yourself out, okay? Here's maybe some of the common responses to self-help. Take 100% responsibility for your life. I mean, I can tell you that today. Hey, are you struggling with self-control? Take 100% responsibility for your life. And you go, okay, yeah. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with taking responsibility for your life, but there's gotta be something more than just that. Or number two, you are allowed to be anything you want. Somebody told you that before? You're allowed to be anything you want. I'm beginning to believe it as our culture goes on, but you can be anything you want. But the truth is, no, you can't be anything you want. There are limitations to who you can be. Or your thoughts are everything. Your thoughts are everything. I mean, what does that even mean? That whatever you think, so it is? I mean, what does that reflect? That reflects you being your own God. But it sounds motivational. It sounds good. So, hey, your thoughts are everything. So, you know what? I'm just going to think good, high thoughts. Or love yourself, period. The problem is, the reason that you don't have self-control is that you just don't love yourself. Love yourself, period. Everything's going to be well. I think we love ourselves just fine. Maybe we love ourselves too much. You say, aren't we supposed to love ourselves? I mean, aren't we commanded to love our neighbors as we love ourselves? Yes, but that love comes from us first, loving God. All of our heart, mind, soul, strength. Or number five, there is always a higher power at work, and it's on your side. Uh, I hope none of you said that this week. (laughs) But that's what the world thinks. There's a higher power. He's always on your side. I mean, do you believe that? That no matter what happens, that whatever the higher power is, he's just for you. I mean, where do you, when you whittle it down, where, where do you get that from? It's worldly thinking. It's idolatry. But yet we use this many times as motivation. That, hey, you can, you can twist anything to work in your favor, but as long as you are in control of your motivation, it will end in the familiar place of devastation. Now, you may ask, hey, devastation, that's a pretty strong word. I mean, did you just use that because it rhymed with motivation? I mean, yeah, that's part and reason why I did. But the other reason is that it's true. Devastation, guilt, frustration, where you find yourself helpless because you want self-control and you're tired of being dominated by sin. But yet you find yourself in the same old place. And I think that we can contribute that to to number two. The the main point here is that law-based living has always been powerless to set us free from our sinful passions and desires. As Paul says, against such things, there is no law. Maybe all summer you've been saying, what does that mean? 
What does that mean? You name the attributes and then against such thing, there is no law. There's no law there pointing back at you saying you're guilty. You fail. You fall short. You must die. Against such things, there's no law. To use a supporting text today, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 5 and 6 says this. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So here's the first thing that we take from that is that we can't claim anything as coming from us. Our sufficiency is from God. And you say, but well, hold on now, I've, I've memorized the Ten Commandments and, I, and I'm living by those daily. Isn't God pleased with me? If it's your motivation to live by works that God would be pleased with you, it's going to lead to devastation. It begins with grace. It begins with all that Christ Jesus has done for us. It is never about law-based living. Because the second thing is the law says, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. It's always waiting and ready to strike, to condemn, to shout, you're guilty. You're guilty. And you say, man, that, then why would God give the law in the first place to show the people that they're guilty of their sins? It heightened the awareness of their sins, a heightened awareness for a need for Savior. The law was never put in place to save man, but it was always there to show him that he can't save himself. Somebody else must. That's Jesus Christ. I loved watching the Wonder Years back in the day. Any other fans of the Wonder Years? I was the only one. Okay. Um, I loved it. Uh, it came on at Wednesdays at eight o'clock. I love the character of Kevin and just, uh, we were around the same age, so that just kind of gives you an idea. Um, some of you maybe were in college or older than that when the Wonder Years came out, but I was uh, like in middle school, elementary, middle school days, and so I kind of grew up with Kevin and, and watching him as always on Wednesday nights at eight, so when I get finished at the local church, I'd come home, turn on the TV, and, and I'd sit there for an hour. I love this show. Um, I, I loved uh, Winnie Cooper, um, I must say. I mean, she was awesome, and then Paul, his best friend, who was a little off, but I mean, just great. But it was his brother, Wayne, that I always got frustrated with because Wayne always seemed to rat out Kevin. It didn't matter what he did. He would, he would shout it out loud that, uh, to his mom that, hey, mom, Kevin just did, and, and whatever it may be. But you know, Wayne was much worse than, than Kevin was. But I remember in the opening uh, theme song, I'm not gonna sing it for you right now, although it's a great, great theme song. Um, but in that theme song, they're, they're wrestling on the ground and uh, Wayne is giving Kevin these noogies right in the shoulder. Now, if you don't know what a noogie is, let me just explain it. It's where you take this middle finger right here and you don't go too far with it, but you just make a knuckle right here. All right. And, and then you take it and you just boom. I mean, you begin to pound on the shoulder or the neck or you just rub it into the head right there. Okay. It's the most pestering thing that somebody can do to you. And Wayne would do this 
to Kevin anytime that Kevin got on his nerves or bothered him. And so right there in the opening song, there is Wayne just going to town on Kevin. And that is just a good picture for us today to have in our minds of what the law does. Just a big noogie just coming to you saying, you failure, you failure, you failure, and just hitting in that same spot over and over. And do you know what happens when you get hit in the same spot over and over? One, it hurts, and two, you bruise. That's what the law does. We're bruised, we're black and blue, we're guilty. Yet we try to get right back up and do it all by ourselves. And the law comes right back and says, no, no, let me remind you. Let me remind you. Remember that struggle you had the other day? That's you, just pounds and pounds and pounds and pounds. And you're here today and you're saying that's me. It has been exposed that I'm a guilty sinner and I need hope. And your hope is not in the law. Your hope is in Jesus. You see, the reason for this book of Galatians was to make it clear that the law kills. It condemns one to death. You won't be able to stand before God one day and say, I did all these great things for you. He's not going to receive you. He's not going to be impressed by you. The only works that he will receive are his son's good works, which have already been done. You see, the law stirs up the sin that is in our hearts, but always fails to clean up the sin. So maybe the noogie illustration didn't go far enough for you. So let me read this from the Pilgrim's Progress. As John Bunyan writes this story and the main character, Christian, is talking with the interpreter. And we take the interpreter to be the Holy Spirit in this narrative. And it points out that the Christian life and the struggles and the sanctification. And here's where we pick up. This is the interpreter. He says, then he took Christian by the hand and led him into a very large reception room that was full of dust because it was never swept. After he had examined the room for a little while, the interpreter called for a man to sweep. When he began to sweep, the dust began to fly around so much that Christian was almost choked by it. Then the interpreter said to a girl standing by, bring water here and sprinkle the room. And when she had done it, the room was easily swept and cleaned. What does this mean? asked Christian. The interpreter answered, this reception room is the heart of a man that never was sanctified by the sweet grace of the gospel. The dust is his original sin and the inward corruptions that have made the whole man unclean. He who began to sweep in the beginning is the law, but she who brought and sprinkled the water is the gospel. Now, he continued, as you saw, the dust began to fly about as soon as the first individual began to sweep so that the room could not be cleaned, but you were almost choked by it. This is meant to show you that instead of cleaning the sinful heart by its works, the law actually energizes and puts strength into and increases sin in the soul. Even though it reveals and condemns sin, it doesn't have the power to conquer sin. Then continued the interpreter. You saw the girl sprinkle the room with water, which caused it to be easily cleaned. 
This is meant to show you that when the gospel comes in, just as the girl settled the dust by sprinkling the floor with water, in like manner, the sweet and precious influences of the gospel to the heart conquer and defeat sin. The soul is made clean through the faith of the gospel, and consequently, the soul is fit for the king of glory to inhabit it. Wow, that is magnificent imagery for us today. Are you choking on your sin today? Like dust, has it been stirred up in your heart by the law, making it hard to breathe? Are you confused, overwhelmed, running around in a dust-filled room trying to fix everything, but yet it just stirs up more and more dust, more and more remembrance of your sin. This wears one out unto death. But the gospel, the gospel heals us of our sin and gives us freedom in the spirit. This is the good news. That water sprinkled helps to clean that room. And that's what happens when the Holy Spirit is poured into you, Christ follower. A cleaning begins to take place. There is hope that you no longer have to be that sinner that is bound in the chains of his appetites of the flesh. You can be set free. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So your greatest need is Jesus. And when you place all your hope in Jesus Christ, a most graciously effective work takes place. The Holy Spirit has been poured into you, and the change begins to happen. Please don't hear this today and think, I have to be more self-controlled. I must do, do, do what is right. It is this idea of do, do, do that puts us to death. It's not your doing that qualifies you. It's your belonging, belonging in Christ. This is right. Do you belong to Christ Jesus? Are you his Do you trust what he did for you on the cross or are you trusting in some other work out there? Understand that it is not about your doing because you will never do enough. In fact, you've already done too much, but it's about being, it's about belonging. And then in verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Last point, by belonging to Christ, we crucify the old sinful passions and desires and receive God-honoring passions and desires. Yes, we still have the old desires. You still have the, the sin that you've been struggling with that comes knocking at your door. Every day, the temptation is there. But yet, there are new desires to be poured into you. Can I address one example that may help? Some of you who are married... And maybe you've only been married for five or 10 years. You haven't been married very long. It may feel like it, but you haven't been. And you have caught yourself having a wandering eye. Meaning that when another woman walks by, you begin to think about that woman and you begin to say, well, what if? 
What if I wasn't with my wife, but I was with this woman? And I'm knowing I'm, I'm being very real here because I know this is a real issue, but it's, it's wanting what you don't have. I mean, for the longest time you were, you were single or maybe when you were single and you were only single till age 20, but you felt like you were single forever. And then you get married. You're saying, if I'm married, everything will be fixed. But now all of a sudden you're married and things aren't fixed. And you want somebody else. You've set your affections on someone else. And maybe this is happening right now in your marriage. You're doing this. And you say, well, how can I just, uh, how can I overcome these emotions, these feelings that I've developed for someone else? It's to recognize first and foremost that it is sin, that it is wrong, and it is not pleasing to God. Leave it. Leave it. The worst thing for a follower of Jesus Christ to say is that I've fallen in love with somebody else and it's just right. Let me tell you how this hits home with the gospel. Because Jesus Christ has saved you. He's made you his very own. And he doesn't look to somebody else and say, you know what, forget about you. You just don't do it. I'm going to somebody else. He doesn't leave you. So you say, what do I do? Well, here's what's happened. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive new desires. And what needs to happen right now in your marriage, if this is you, is that you need to develop new and fresh desires for your spouse. You don't need to leave them. And all of this will be fueled by the grace of God because we can bring the excuses And we can say, why? But listen, you're fueled by the grace of God. And so if you're struggling with this, you may be going, well, he knows, he found out. Who told him? Listen, let me tell you how that changes. As you're fueled by the grace of God, all of a sudden you begin to love your spouse like you've never loved her before. Or ladies, you love your spouse. You love him like you've never loved him before. What I'm here to tell you is it's not too late. Your desires, your affections, your emotions, they can be changed through the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, I don't have the control. I'm just overwhelmed one step away from being unfaithful and put all your trust in the faithful one. Set your sights on your spouse. Now we could talk about many different sins, but that's just one that was on my heart to share with you based on a conversation from this past week. But I want to continue with this. Colossians 1, 10 through 13 says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. And listen, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Oh, that is beautiful. He has qualified us to share an inheritance in light. He has delivered us. He has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Who transferred you? God did. God transferred you. You did not transfer yourself. You can never transfer yourself. Only God through his grace can transfer you. Uh, 
two days ago, I was at Home Depot getting a can of paint. And as I'm um, leaving, I'm, I'm, I'm checking out in the little self-help checkout thing, which is always seems to get confusing for me and uh, just a personal problem. But there's a lady there and she's, she's there to help. So I'm grateful. And as I walk up, she says, hey, do you have your military ID? And, and I said, well, no, ma'am, I'm, I'm not military, but I love them and I support them very much. And I don't just say that to get a discount because they never give me one. But it is to say that I do. I support the military. And she said, well, I do too. I, I love our military. I'm grateful for them. And then she said something after that. She said something about Lord willing. And I just kind of heard that uh, in passing and, and I'm scanning uh, my can of paint. And when I finish, I'm like, I'm going to ask her. And so I, I go over there and I say, I heard you say Lord willing. Does that, that mean you're a Christ follower? Do you look to the Lord and his will in all things? And she said, absolutely. She says, I've been following Jesus since 1986. And I'm like, that's awesome. And she gave me the exact date and I have an exact date too. So don't hate for those who have the dates, right? And so we're talking about when we became followers of Jesus Christ. And she says, I have been transferred into the kingdom of God. That's what she said. I've been transferred into the kingdom of God. And then we're reading here in this passage, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. I must ask you today, have you been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son? Have you received new residence in the kingdom of God, meaning that sin no longer has to reside in you? You say sin is not welcome. Today, sin is not welcome. Whatever sin there is, I repent of this, Lord. I confess it. I don't want to be under dominion of this sin. You see, the Father has qualified you through his grace by sending his Son to die for you and rise for you and then sending the Holy Spirit to reside in you. This word quality means, or qualified means to make worthy. You may not feel worthy every day, And even in the days when you do feel worthy, you need to check that at the door because it's Christ who makes us worthy. So how can we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Because he has made us worthy. And how can we be made worthy when this whole struggle with self-control is that we're out of control because Jesus is worthy and he never lost control. This is our hope. So, How do we accomplish self-control in our day-to-day living? What's kind of the application for this? Well, let me just tell you this. Instead of focusing on the ugliness of our sin, we focus on the glories of Christ Jesus. That's it right there. You think, I was was hoping you'd give me a list. I I have a list for you today. Are you ready? I hope you got your pens ready, your pencils ready, whatever you have in front of you. I'm gonna give you a list. It's from Colossians 1, 14 through 20. You want a list for self-control? Let me give you a great list for self-control. It is the litany of glories of Jesus Christ. Here they are. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins found in verse 14. In him is the image of the invisible God, verse 15. He is the firstborn of all creation. That is the specially honored first and only son over all creation. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. That's verse 16. Continuing on. All things were created through him. All things were created for him. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. In everything, he is preeminent. 
In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He reconciles all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven. He makes peace by the blood of his cross. That list is found in Colossians 1, 14 through 20. And why do I give you that list today? Because you must set your mind on the glory of Jesus Christ and take it off the agony of your sin. You see, the first thing we want to do is you say, hey, just give me some practical steps when I leave this place so that I can be more self-controlled. And I'm telling you, it doesn't begin with those steps. It begins with glorifying God and enjoying him forever. When you're struggling with your existence and why you're here, you set your sights on the image of the invisible God, Christ Jesus. You can see what it looks like for God to live among us. You feel like all things are falling apart in your life right now. You look at verse 17, in him all things hold together. You're lacking peace because of things that are happening right now in your life. You look to verse 20, he makes peace by the blood of his cross. These are the places where you find comfort. This is where your heart is transformed and it leads to a changed life. But it does not start with a list of rules. John Piper says, if any person or any power or any wisdom or any love awakens any admiration or any amazement or any joy, let it be the greatest person and the greatest power, and the greatest wisdom, and the greatest love that exists, Jesus Christ. John Owen says, he that hath slight thought of sin never had great thoughts of God. If you're here today and thinking, what's the big deal about sin? It's a big deal if I struggle with drunkenness. What's the big deal if I struggle with greed? What's the big deal if I don't control my eyes? What's the big deal? I mean, won't God forgive me? If that's what's going on in your heart, the problem is that you don't have great thoughts of God. We all struggle with that. So where does self-control begin? With great thoughts of God. That's where we begin. That's where we begin. Do you have great thoughts of God? A big, powerful God. I close with this. Oh man, can I just tell you guys, the staff and I, we joke about this, like trying to sermon times and everything. When I practiced this sermon last night, it's 30 minutes. See, when I get in here, it's like already 40 minutes. Here it is. Listen, my wife, when I walk into the house, on a lot of days, there's like a roach lying on its back, dead, (laughs) or a wasp at the doorway lying there, She's done with it. She's sprayed them. She's killed them. I'm to take them and to put them in the toilet and flush. (laughs) That's my job. My sons are the same way. Dad, there's a bug. And I'm like, son, you are a boy. Go get that bug. All right. All right. But she does her part. I mean, she uses wasp spray on everything. And I'm like, you know, they make roach killer and ant killer and things like we can know. I use wasp spray. And she says this, I use the wasp spray because she can stand 10 feet away and spray and not get close to it. And I get it. You know, I think a lot of times that's what we want in our lives as Christians. We just, we just want to kill sin. Like we just want to be done with sin. But we think it's as easy as just spraying and killing it. And that's it. But where we fail is 
what, what are we going to replace that sin with? It's not just getting rid of sin, it's replacing that sin. And that's the battle with self-control. Whatever you're dealing with, yeah, I trust that you want to be done with it, but you just don't, aren't done with it and there's this huge vacuum, what's left? No, replace it with the things of God. So I hope as you leave this place today, you are challenged to have great thoughts of God and you'll receive that as you read the word. I leave no self-help book for you, no other author to read than the Bible when it comes to glorying in God. Will you take the word this week? Will you read it? Will you be faithful in this followers of Christ? And listen, if you are struggling with sin right now and you say, I need to talk to somebody, I'm available. Our pastors are available. We'd love to meet with you. We're here. Don't just keep this sin hidden. The best thing is to, to confess it and be healed. But as we come to the table today and you're going, I, I, I'm struggling, like I have sin, I'm struggling with, look, confess that to the Lord and come receive communion today and remember what Christ Jesus did for you. What did Christ Jesus do for you? His body, he came, he, he lived here. God became flesh and lived among us and he was perfect. And then his body was put on a cross. It was broken for us. And so when you take this bread, you're remembering Christ who came, but not only Christ who came, but Christ who's coming again. He's coming back. Like all our hope is in Jesus. So when you take that bread, there's no focusing on anybody else in the room. Like, hey man, how's it going? How's your weekend been going? No, it's like, I got this bread in my hand and I'm focusing Christ Jesus. You, you died for me. And you're coming again. And you dip into the cup and they're dipping into the cup is this juice, which looks like blood. And you're reminded of the blood of Jesus Christ, which washes away your sin. And you can rejoice in that, that you have a righteous standing before God because of Jesus' righteousness and his blood shed for you. All that righteousness has been transferred to you and the fact that when he sees you, he sees someone who's righteous, although we know we're not. <laughs> Christ Jesus was righteous. And so may this be heavy on our hearts as we come, as I said at the beginning of the service, communion is for the church. It's for any follower of Jesus Christ. And so you come faithfully as the Lord so leads in just a moment. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, then I'm, I'm just going to give a warning because that's how the Bible speaks of it, a warning to not come and receive because as you do, you eat and drink judgment unto yourself. This is not something done lightly. Your greatest need is Jesus. And when you come to Jesus, you don't have to worry about being left out, being ignored or rejected. Come to Christ Jesus today. Look to him as king, trusting that he died for you on the cross and that he's risen for you and that he returned for you. Today, you can begin following Jesus. I encourage you. If you, if you need to talk with somebody during when people are coming up and you're saying, well, if I'm not going to the table, what do I do? Come talk to us. We'd love to talk to you. There have been several conversations we've had with people during communion where their greatest need is Jesus and they've bypassed the table to come to follow Jesus. We'd love to have that conversation with you today. If there's something going on in your heart, listen, and you're not willing to confess it, Christian, I'm speaking to you. Christian, if you're not willing to confess sin and you know it, you've walked into this room and you're stubbornly holding on to something. And even after what we've heard, you just cannot lay it down. Then I would say, stay away from the table today, but draw close to the Lord. 
repent. And if you can repent and you can give that to the Lord, then you can be free to come to the table. You can be free to rejoice what Christ has done. But it's as a reminder for us that we're just not saved to live our own lives. We are saved to live the life that Christ has set us free to live. So I hope that's clear to you today. I'm going to pray and ask God's blessings on this communion, but understand that we can come because Christ Jesus came down. He will come again. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for this message as we look to self-control. And we are, it's clear today that we're not to walk out of this place thinking that we've got this self-control, that our self-control is all in Christ Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit. But we just have that visual in our mind of, of the law just wanting to punch us and punch us and punch us again to remind us of our sin and just always wallowing in our sin. May we look away from the ugliness of sin and may we look to Jesus Christ. Father, I ask you bless this table as we come to receive. Thank you, Jesus, that you served the disciples. Not only did you serve them bread and wine, but you served by giving your life. And Lord, we trust in that today. So Father, will you save those in this room who need to be saved by your grace? Will they look to you today? And Father, we as the church, as we come to receive today, may this just be a special time of reflection and just gratitude for what Christ has done, that it leads us out of here to be more self-controlled as we live according to your word daily through the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.